0: Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, The Gun Show. My guest tonight is William Macbeth from Save Calgary with all the federal election analysis that you need. If you like listening to this podcast, then you will love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows – here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show as well as other great TV style shows too like Ezra's Nightly, Ezra Levant Show and David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. It's only eight bucks a month to subscribe or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST. When you subscribe, just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. And please, leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support The Rebel without ever having to spend a dime. And now please, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. One week into the federal election campaign and I'm wondering, does anybody actually... Care about the hard issues, about taxes, about debt, about unending corruption. I know I do, partly because it's my job to be explicitly informed about these sorts of things. But what about the average Canadian voter? I'm Sheila Gunn Reid, and you're watching The Gun Show. media is fantastic but at the same time it's also an immoral cesspit on one hand it connects us with like-minded people we probably wouldn't find in the real world and it gives us the ability to share information with each other without having to go through the mainstream media information gatekeepers of old but on the other hand it's also a place that displays the worst of people where mobs are formed where pitchforks are brandished and torches are lit, it's where cancel culture was born. And now cancel culture thrives to enforce ideological conformity in the public square. And social media has become an insurmountable legacy, a catalog of ideas and statements that good people, changed people, seeking redemption, will probably never escape. And so far in this election, more than any policy announcements and far more than Justin Trudeau's unending corruption, social media missteps from nearly a decade ago where some Conservative candidate said something that might be considered impolite in today's age, well, that's all the media wants to talk about. Is this the election that really solidifies this tactic of mainstream media enforcing cancel culture on Conservative candidates? Or is this the election where we say... Enough is enough. Just give us the information about the candidates and then let the voters decide. My guest tonight is William Macbeth from Save Calgary. He and I discuss this and so much more including some actual tangible policy announcements from the Conservatives that will serve to make your life just a little less expensive. But before I go on, we discussed some breaking news in our interview that we recorded yesterday afternoon. At the time, Brock Harrison, the director of communications for Andrew Scheer, said that the RCMP confirmed that there was an investigation into the SNC-Lavalin affair. And what he said made sense, considering statements made by the RCMP commissioner about quote-unquote investigations. Let me explain. Yesterday in a press conference about the arrest of Cameron Ortis for espionage, Commissioner Brenda Lucky was asked if the RCMP wanted Trudeau to waive cabinet confidentiality so they could further their investigation into the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Here's what she replied. Today we're here for Mr. Ortis's investigation, so I don't want to comment very much. We do take all investigations very seriously and investigate to the fullest. Investigations. So one could reasonably assume, and I know I probably would have from that statement, that the RCMP were also investigating Trudeau's involvement with SNC-Lavalin. The RCMP, though, clarified later on in the day that the statement was a generalized statement about all RCMP investigations. You'll hear William and I talk about that breaking news in our interview because we were recording live. But we left it in the show because I think we make some pretty salient points about whether or not the average liberal voter really cares about Trudeau's corruption. So now that that clarification is out of the way, here's my interview with my good friend, William Macbeth from Safe Calgary. is my friend William Macbeth from Save Calgary. Now, he's my go-to municipal politics guy, but he is also a longtime conservative activist, both provincially and federally, and I think way, way back in the Redford days. That's when you came on my radar as someone smart and someone to pay attention to. So now that we're in the midst of the federal election, of course, I'm going to have my smart guy, William, on the show. William, we're recording this Tuesday, morning afternoonish and we just got word i see from Brock Harrison so Brock Harrison is uh, director of communications for Andrew Shear and he tweets out just minutes ago that the RCMP commissioner Brenda Lucky or Lukey i've never learned how to say her name has confirmed there is an investigation into the SNC-Lavalin corruption scandal now you and i were talking off camera This is great. We don't think that uh, justice should grind to a halt because an election campaign is on. That's hardly how things should work. Um, But I'm wondering what sort of difference will this make to entrenched liberal voters, those voters who, um, despite, you know, the pragmatism of Stephen Harper, voted for Justin Trudeau because they like nice hair, socks and sunny ways.
1: Uh, You know, it's a really important question, and I'm sure it's one that folks on the Shear campaign and uh, on the other ones are asking themselves, how solid and entrenched is that Liberal vote? So I would say there's a few things to consider. The first of all is we're still pretty early in to to this election. We still have about five weeks to go until Election Day. What campaigns, you know, what a real campaign's about is trying to decide what question voters will be asking themselves when they're standing in that voting booth, trying to make a decision about who to vote for. And for Andrew Scheer, um, I think that question, he wants it to be, which party and which leader do you trust to help you and your family get ahead? And for Justin Trudeau, he of course wants it to be about, um, which party and leader do you trust to keep moving Canada forward? Although I'm not 100% sure I understand what, what that means. But, uh, you know, this SNC thing has a real potential to derail what the liberals are trying to communicate, which is under us, we've moved Canada forward, we've made progress, despite the fact that they really haven't in so many ways. And uh, now people are going to be asking themselves on that, who do I trust question? Well, can you really trust a party and a leader in particular, who has been subject to multiple um, investigations for breaking the law?
0: Yeah, they're starting to number the investigations into Justin Trudeau's corruption. There's report number one and report number two. Um, And I mean, I anticipate there will probably be a gomery style um, investigation either after the next election if the conservatives win or when Justin Trudeau is finally no longer prime minister. I think we'll see something like that where... The onion is peeled right back so we can see the levels of corruption of this liberal government. Because I think we're just sort of scratching the surface with it all.
1: No, I I think you're absolutely right. And if you look back to the last time Canada was sort of in this position, we were in sort of that 2005 period where uh, a scandal-plagued liberal government was going back to people asking for another kick at the can and uh you know a breaking rcmp investigation in the middle of the election campaign really was the final nail in the paul martin liberal coffin that time around so the question is will people react the same way again this time i think the complication this time around is this campaign while there have been policy announcements really hasn't been about policy so far it's been about the theater of politics and uh, you know, who was friends with who half a decade ago? Uh, apparently, who invited who out for drinks? Uh, as a, as a Liberal MP in Faith building. we just started having that conversation in the last uh, day and a half. So, uh, you know, we really haven't gotten into the meat of this campaign. And possibly, we never will, if this is how the media are going to choose to cover the 40 days of this 43rd election.
0: You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I, I'm not... Maybe I am part of the problem because uh, I I began digging into the social media histories of liberal candidates back in 2015, way before I worked for the rebel and I ended up nuking Michelle Rempel's liberal candidate. They had to replace her uh, (laughs) sort of in the middle of the campaign, Uh, incidentally, because she had said something about Ezra Levant, like sending him back to Israel or something to that effect. Um, So maybe I created this monster, but this is now gone beyond telling a canadian-born jewish man to go back to israel this is about you can't have been friends with someone you can't have known somebody socially you can't have been socially polite to someone because now every opinion of that other person that they've made since then you suddenly wear like a yoke around your neck Uh, to his credit and i've been critical of andrew shear when i don't think he's conservative enough to his credit He's sort of drawn a line in the sand, and I think it's a very conservative ideal to have where he says, look, people have changed from the time where they said something um, maybe not as polite as we consider it today. Um, If they've, you know, made amends and have demonstrated, you know, good moral character since then, that's good enough. And as for me, I think that's very conservative because I'm one of those people who, you know, there were times in my life where I didn't live very conservatively. And uh, once I started be, uh, behaving more conservative, life got pretty good. And, and I like to sort of preach that message. If you, you know, suddenly start making good choices and maintain personal responsibility, things will get better for you. And I like to think that, um, you know, as conservatives, we should be inviting people who may not have always been um, the kind of people we would think are conservatives today, we should really be inviting them into the fold um, once they've proven themselves. And I'm glad to see Andrew Shear say that he sort of believes the same way.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, you know, digging into a candidate's past is an entirely legitimate tactic sure. and part of of any election campaign. And certainly, I think a candidate's past should be of concern to the voters in that in that writing. So I'd like to know who I'm voting for. I'd like to know what that person has said and done. And I also wanna know if that person has subsequently changed their mind or realized they were mistaken or their views have changed on an issue. Where I think this starts to go off is when we try and hold an entire political party and a Mm -hmm. leader of a political party accountable for the actions of one of 338 candidates on the team, especially when a political party leader, at least in the case of, say, the Conservatives, does not have total control over who is on that slate of candidates. Candidates are, by and large, elected by the members in their riding. And you know, Andrew Shear as leader of the Conservative Party, uh, has a team of 338. But it's really unfair to say that the entire Conservative Party and Andrew Scheer are responsible for what a single candidate may have said or done. In the entire history of that candidate's life and i also think you make a really good point about people do change and to me i think when people change that's something to be celebrated it's how society we it's how we make progress on important issues one day people said i used to believe this i now don't i now believe this why because i've learned more about an issue or because i've you know had the chance to to think about it, or I've seen how it's affected someone in my life who I know and love. And because of that, I now think something different. So rather than condemning people for changing their views or for having once held views that were out of step with what we think of today, we should be celebrating people for when they change their mind because they have new information or because uh, they've had a personal awakening on an issue.
0: Well, and I think there's a vast difference too between somebody who's done something and then lived their life a different way for an extended period of time or someone who has had, you know, held views, probably still holds those views and only apologize now because everybody found out or has not even apologised. In the Liberals' case, they don't seem to be all that apologetic. Um, we've had two candidates from the Liberal side, uh, one turfed, one not, who've made anti-Semitic comments. Um, we had uh, Hassan Gillette or Gillette. he uh, Benign breath accused him of engaging in a pattern of disturbing anti-Semitic and anti-Israel statements. And, you know, he hasn't really renounced the statements. He's actually just said, I'm not racist or anti-Semitic. But that doesn't negate what he said before he's not denying the views he held before and in that case the only problem the Liberal had with the Liberals as a party had with what he said was that Benai Brith didn't keep it under wraps Benai Brith went public with it and that's when the Liberals decided to do something about it apparently Benai Brith told them months ago what they had uncovered uh, their candidate to be saying and then the liberals have just nominated uh his name is samir zubari and uh again according to jewish organizations they say he's promoted conspiracy theories about the terrorist attacks on 9-11 and (laughs) said that his bin laden's role in 9-11 is still a matter for public debate and you know given that canadians died in 9-11 I certainly don't want somebody who's in the House of Commons who's a 9-11 truther. But the Liberals just nominated him and they're just letting him run.
1: Uh, no, and I, and I think you make uh, a really important point here. Um, to, to judge a political party by what a single candidate or did 5, 10 or 15 years ago, but who has then subsequently changed their position on it, uh, I think is unfair. But there's a world of difference between that and then judging a political party who is actively recruiting candidates who have problematic views about Canada and Canadians. And the example that I think hammers at home is with the first candidate you referenced. Well, after uh, B'nai Brest made public um, their information, the Liberal Party eventually took action and um, dropped the individual as a candidate. But in his statement as to what happened, he expressed shock and surprise because the Liberal Party had been working with him on, to use his words, a PR plan to deal with his problematic uh, uh, comments. So to me, you're not really sorry about something if you're in the midst of building a (laughs) PR plan to defend it. That tells me what you're sorry for is getting caught, not you're not sorry for the views you held at some point. In your life, so um, you know uh, what's interesting is is Andrew Scheer has said that uh, you know no blanket policy. We'll examine each one as we go, but if someone demonstrates real remorse and real uh, offers a real apology for something, that's in his mind a demonstration of someone who could still be a great candidate uh, for the Conservative Party. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh said virtually the same thing. He said, "Look, um, if someone once espoused views that I you know that are not compatible with what our party stands for with what canadians accept but that person has apologized that person's views have changed and here's demonstrable reason for why we believe that he's also not going to force them out because otherwise what will elections become elections will become you know and in this round we lost 600 candidates across all the different parties and at some point once you lose a candidate you just can't replace them so do does that mean voters in that riding just won't have that choice. You know, you're living in a riding, uh, you know, you've lost three candidates out of scandal or out of mispropriety or something they said, you know, at some point in their past. So now you have to vote for the only one who's left because they're the only one whose names still on the ballot.
0: Yeah. And I mean, on what level does this remove the local autonomy and local democracy of the local riding? You know, if, if these candidates have campaigned, they've been vetted enough for the people who helped them win the nomination, why can't the local residents decide if they want to send them to Ottawa? Um, You know, when you are constantly removing candidates because the CBC doesn't like a social media post they made eight years ago or whatever it is, um, why should Rosie Barton get to decide the liberal that runs in my riding or the conservative that runs in my riding that just doesn't seem uh, democratic?
1: No, and I think you raised the other key ingredient. Political parties would not spend the kind of time, money, and effort they do looking up the past history, social media posts of candidates, if those were then reported breathlessly by national media outlets, Mm -hmm. um, as if the candidate literally woke up that morning and screamed it from his bedroom window. So, uh, you know, I think that the media do have to take a look at themselves and say, look, You know, you profess to say you hate scripted campaigns, you hate the talking points, you you hate that you only ever get canned sound bites. Well, guess what? That means you cannot also then do 48 hours of round the clock news on what a candidate said 10 or 15 years ago um, as, as part of your election coverage. It's important to the people of that riding, absolutely, but it's not worth a day of national news. And of course, that's what we've seen happening is is fairly breathless reporting from national media about candidates who have said uh, and done certain things and primarily from the conservative campaign. Although one of the reasons I think the media also have done that is because the prime minister was uh, simply missing in action for two whole days of this campaign. He took the weekend off. And (laughs) even though there were reporters embedded on his campaign within seat of him.
0: I saw it with nobody, my own eyes
1: <laughs> nobody chose to take that opportunity to ask him a question he described it as well we're in the rapid riding movement phase and as someone who's worked politics for 20 years well that's not a thing that's just campaign tour moving from one place to the next to shake hands and to flip pancakes or whatever the event is that's going on you can easily ask questions on the route. and. Let's contrast that with Andrew Scheer, who every single day of this campaign has stood on his airplane and answered reporter questions until they ran out of questions to ask him. So who is really trying to hide and cover things up in this election? A prime minister running from the media or Andrew Scheer who takes questions until there are no more questions?
0: You know, that is a great point. I saw it with my own eyes in Edmonton after I was removed from the liberal event for being nothing other than a conservative. Um, He walked onto the media bus, or the liberal bus, but I repeat myself, sat down, surrounded by reporters. Since when do reporters need a politician's permission to ask them questions? It's our duty to ask them questions, especially questions they don't want asked and questions they don't want to answer. I've seen, I don't know how many hours of footage of Justin Trudeau walking around followed by reporters and then the reporters complaining, well, he's not allowing us to ask questions. Give me a break. You're three feet from the man. Ask him a question. If he ignores you, he ignores you, but at least you tried. Um and then to see reporters complaining. I mean, it's just really quite appalling, especially when you, like you point out, contrast that with Andrew Shear, what Andrew Shear is doing, but also how the media is treating Andrew Shear. I watched a CBC reporter chase Andrew Shear through a parking lot, and chase his car down as the car drove away because she wanted her questions answered. Why isn't anybody doing that to Justin Trudeau while he's buying fries for CBC reporters?
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, media outlets spend a, a ton of money to embed a reporter onto one of those campaigns. It's you know something in the order of ten thousand dollars a week for a reporter, for a major media outlet to be on the liberal plane or to be on the, on the conservative plane. So you would think with that kind of investment, reporters would be using every single opportunity they have to get questions answered. And I don't understand why we seem to be seeing one set of rules for Andrew Scheer in and the Conservative Party and another set of rules for Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, as prime minister... Certainly during an election, they're both political party leaders, both wanting to lead our country. Uh, what is this clubby, oh, well, we can't ask questions because what? He, he won't give you your free poutine if, if you yell a question at him or, you know, he'll give you a worse seat on the plane that you've paid for to be there. Like, what's the, what's the downside of asking him questions? You know, the prime minister will get mad at you. OK, you'll live. It's time to be brave, reporters of Canada. And don't just put up with, well, we're not taking questions today. And certainly then don't cover the liberal photo ops if they're not prepared to also take questions. Because then that's just free media, free criticism, free media for the Liberal Party.
0: Yeah, and last time I checked, Justin Trudeau already has a private photographer, um, somebody whose sole job is devoted to taking glamour photos of Justin Trudeau. We don't need the entire media pool taking pictures of Justin Trudeau. I mean, and especially when the Parliamentary Press Gallery will not accredit our journalists. Um, and I, I suspect our journalists are probably the only one who would shout questions at Justin Trudeau over a plate of poutine. Um, but but um, it, they're controlling this exclusive access to Justin Trudeau and then refusing to do their job. It's very bizarre. And it's really quite shameless. You can see You can see how they're treating Andrew Scheer versus how they're treating Justin Trudeau. And Justin Trudeau, he knows he's going to receive that sort of passive glowing treatment. I mean, he bought fries for a CBC reporter on camera and then said, we know the Liberal Party of Canada always takes care of CBC. I mean, the gall of saying that right in front of all those reporters knowing he really wouldn't get any criticism out of those reporters for saying something so you know inappropriate but honest for once (laughs) Um, it's really quite bizarre and then we also saw global news uh, copyright struck that video of Justin Trudeau giving fries to a CBC reporter then they took it down then they re-put up a version of it. Despite owning two versions of it, they re-put up another version of it that's less clear, and I think it's to obscure sort of the reactions of the reporters because the original version of that, you could see the reporters all there, you could see the reporter that uh, Justin Trudeau gave the gift to, and you could see their like happy jokey reaction. The new version doesn't show that and i think it's really strange being someone who works for a media organization if we owned two versions of the same video we would absolutely put up the more clear one um, and it, boy it sure looks like there's a cabal at work here around justin trudeau reporters report uh, protecting journalists and reporters protecting justin trudeau's bad behavior
1: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, this incident has been so interesting for, uh, I mean, a few reasons. Well, first of all, we said if you create a media fund, a five hundred ninety five million dollar media fund to give taxpayer dollars to media, you will influence the coverage of politics in this country. And in this case, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, even if um, that wasn't their intent, that is certainly what has come to pass. And the second thing is, of course, is that um, it really hurts media's ability to say, look, we're, we're doing our tough job and we're trying to hold politicians to account when you see this. And this incident yeah. in particular has, has had several reporters. I saw one, I think, from the Globe and Mail today retweet the CBC reporter in questions, uh, tweets about the not asking questions. He was the one who got the routine handed to him by saying, well, how can you say this? when andrew shear is taking questions each and every day of this campaign and justin trudeau isn't and i thought well that's interesting you don't always see division in the ranks of, of media coverage but i think it's because some media are starting to come to the conclusion that they're about to suffer irreparable and irreversible damage to their credibility because of how they cover an election in the face of all of this taxpayer money that is now going to their corporate owners so um, maybe you'll start to see more media pushing back against the clubby Ottawa-based journalism uh, journalists who who day-to-day cover the prime minister and uh, national politics. But uh, yeah, it was a very telling, telling incident: the the Putin to the reporter from the prime minister and the comment that he made.
0: Oh, it was so strange. Now, you did mention that there has been very little policy being announced uh, from the Liberals. I can't really. There's really not much of anything except we're going to increase this amount of money that we're giving you. Um, but Andrew Shear has actually made some pretty um, tangible policy announcements that will put more money back in Canadians' pockets. Um, the two children's tax credits that were cut by Trudeau, I embrace these tax credits coming back into my life. I've got some very active kids. They're always in something. Um, and when... Trudeau took those tax credits away. It really made a difference in my life and a lot of other middle-class families' lives.
1: Uh, You know, it's interesting. The Conservative policy, uh, you know, if you look what's been announced by the Liberals and you look what's been announced by the Conservatives, it's two very different ideas of what government can and should be in our lives. In the case of the Liberals, for example, the new 250,000 daycare you know, before and after school care spaces well, only, even their own math suggests that only about one out of every $3 of that program is going to go uh, into the parent, pockets of parents. The others are going to be consumed by uh, the bureaucracy, by government, by unions, and by the government-approved childcare options that uh, receive taxpayer funding. Where the conservative approach has always been, look, we will give you back more of your own tax dollars so that you can spend them in ways that you see fit and best for your family. So in the case of the child fitness tax credit and the child arts tax credit, it's saying, look, we're not going to tell you what sports, you know, or what artistic pursuits are, are going to qualify. We're going to say it's a tax credit. You can enroll your kids and then get some money back from that cost uh, on your taxes. And it doesn't require an army of government bureaucrats to administer a program like that. It's done automatically when you file your taxes by computers. So to me, I think it's a much better way of addressing the require, the flexibility that's needed for national programs. That's always been the biggest challenge of creating a national program is a voter living in rural Newfoundland is very different than a voter living in downtown Vancouver. And so how can you build a program that will possibly meet both of those needs if you're trying to do it from a central big government standpoint? And the other big program that I think is really great is the universal tax cut that Andrew Scheer announced that would see The lowest income tax bracket reduced from 15% to 13.75%, a one and a quarter percent cut on that tax bracket. It is a real benefit to those earning the lowest amounts of money and to those families who are getting by, um, you know, paying their bills but are struggling to make ends meet. It will make a real difference. And it's a sharp contrast to the tax plan that the Liberals introduced, where the benefits disproportionately went to people earning more than $250,000 a year. So I think that's a great policy from Andrew Shear. A couple of great policies have come out and it tells me they've really done their homework on this whole fight for the middle class, which I think is coming to define uh, this election. You know, Andrew Shear and the Conservatives with their slogan, it's time for you to get ahead. And the you in this case, is hardworking everyday families who aren't politically well-connected like the Irvings and like SNC-Lavalin and like Bombardier. Uh, who clearly are the first priority of the Liberal government.
0: Yeah, it's been really great to see um, a a tax credit that provides you choice. And like you say, does recognize. uh, It's so funny because the Liberals talk about diversity, diversity, diversity is our strength. And yet they design these cookie cutter programs that uh, are, you know, they don't address the fact that, you know, sometimes hockey is the only game in town. Um, out in the middle of nowhere and um, you know hockey is very expensive and if you want kids in rural Canada to have the same access and opportunities as kids like you say in downtown Vancouver these sort of tax credits help um, as opposed to these behemoth uh, cookie cutter programs that the liberals have designed that you know everybody lives in a condo in downtown Montreal and everybody goes to the daycare that's directly underneath their their suite it's we live in a far different world and uh the conservatives they have tailored programs that are have something for everybody i guess
1: yeah no it it, you know for people who do claim to celebrate diversity their view of canada is uh very monolithic it's very urban yeah it's um it's very affluent it's very much people who depend from when they wake up in the morning to when they go to bed at night on government and on mm-hmm. government programs. And it doesn't recognize the fact that we are a big, diverse country, lots of different Canadians, lots of different circumstances, um, and lots of people who are, are struggling for one reason or another to, to make ends meet. And certainly, uh, the tax credits and the tax cut proposed by the sheer uh, campaign so far appear to be really hitting on that let's make life more affordable for you and your family theme.
0: Now, William, you've been super generous with your time today. You're here talking about the federal campaign, but your day job is in municipal politics as a municipal politics watchdog. Um, I want to give you a chance to plug the work that you do at Save Calgary and let people know how they can support you.
1: Well, thanks, Sheila. I did have to laugh. The mayor has uh, made his demands of federal political party leaders. And this becomes (laughs) a big surprise. Uh, He wants more money. From no, no. Parties. I know what a shocking <laughs> decision. What a, what a surprise! So out of character. character. <laughs> and you know, frankly, anybody who's paid any attention to Canada's fiscal situation will know there just isn't money available to give to cities um, to fund whatever pet projects those cities are demanding for this week. Certainly, um, you know, with a deficit that's still in the double digits, and and even under Andrew Shears. know the liberals describe it as, as austerity uh Andrew Scheer's plan still takes five years to balance Canada's budget uh from all of this liberal misspending so uh I did enjoy the optimism though or at least maybe the uh the I don't care about the facts and reality attitude of the mayor I'm just gonna ask for more money so save Calgary we've said and we've made this pretty clear we think Calgary has enough money we think Calgary takes in from businesses from homeowners through all of the fees, taxes, surcharges, and levies that they put on to people, they have enough money to run the city. What they need to do is cut their spending, which I know is sacrilege in the world, in the world of municipal politics, but it's time to take a good hard look at how the city spends our money. So, uh, our website, safecalgary.com. You can follow us through our social media channels. Um, We put out a nearly weekly newsletter, uh, which talks about some of the issues happening in Calgary. Uh, going on. And if uh, if you would like to come and check us out, we'd really love it. We'd love it if you followed our social media, sign up for our newsletter. And if you could, uh, maybe after Andrew Shears Universal Tax Cut, you could even afford to make a donation to save Calgary to keep <laughs> us strong.
0: Fantastic, William. Thanks for your expert analysis today. And thanks for all the work that you do for Calgary taxpayers. We'll check back in, I bet you, before the campaign is over, if you're willing.
1: Absolutely. It's great to see you again, Sheila.
0: Social media has really given humanity the ability to spread lies (laughs) like never before. But it's also removed the mainstream media as the wall citizens have to climb over to get the honest truth. At the end of the day, no matter what the journalists who would allow themselves to be bought off for a plate of poutine would have you believe or what the pro-censorship liberal party says, the job of deciphering what's BS and what's truth lies solely on the individual and never the state well everybody that's the show for tonight thank you so much for tuning in i'll see everybody back here at the same time in the same place next week and remember don't take fries and gravy from charismatic gropers and don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think